I think we have to recognize that in this new administration and with this new speaker, our economy is doing very, very well. And in some, you know, some corners, you can start to see a glimpse of some change. So we have to be very wise. Um, and, you know, when we talk about growing the budget and what that means, the next council may not have the same opportunities that we had. Welcome to What's the Data Point from Citizens Budget Commission and Gotham Gazette. I'm Ben Max from Gotham Gazette. I'm Carol Kellerman from Citizens Budget Commission. Thanks for joining us for this episode. Today we are joined by City Council Member Jalissa Ferreras Copeland for what should be an interesting, wide-ranging discussion. We're happy to have her here. And for our data point today, Carol? 95 is our data point today. That is the number of days remaining in the second term of Julissa Ferreris Copeland, who was elected to the New York City Council in 2009 as the representative of District 21, which includes parts of College Point, Corona, East Elmhurst, Elmhurst, Flushing, Flushing Meadows Corona Park, Jackson Heights, and LaGuardia Airport. She's the first woman, first person of color, and the youngest person to chair the council's powerful Committee on Finance, which oversees the adoption of the city's $85 billion annual budget. Councilmember Ferreris Copeland grew up in Corona, the daughter of Dominican immigrants, both of whom are retired public sector employees. She's been involved in politics and public service in her community since 2001, and before she ran for the council seat, she was chief of staff to the former council member from her district, Hiram Montserrat. This past June, our guest announced that she would not seek another term in the council. So these are her final few months in the job. This decision, which she'll tell us a bit more about today, was met with surprise among many observers who expected her to be a leading candidate for the next speaker of the council. Julissa Ferreris Copeland is here with us today to talk about her time in the city council, especially as finance chair, and more. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks for being here. It's good to see you. It's been a little while, a uh, busy summer and all, and now we're, we're back here in the fall, so it's good to catch up with you. Um, so what's, tell, tell folks who haven't maybe been following throughout the summer, what's your decision is here, what you're doing, and, uh, and, and how you sort of came to it. So thank you for this opportunity to be here today. Um, it was a very tough decision. I've worked my entire career on empowering communities, making New York City a better place for families. Um, but while I was doing that, one of the families that was struggling was my own. Um, I found a wonderful person to marry online. <laughs> um, and, you know, we got married and we didn't go on our honeymoon because the very next following Monday, I had to start budget hearings um, here in the city council. Um, and it's been an incredible opportunity to serve in, in this position. However, um, becoming a mom shortly after that, um, kind of made things more complicated. My husband was commuting from Maryland. He has a very you know, strong career also, and, and one that's important to our family as an aerospace engineer. Um, and we really tried to pull this together for a very long time. And then there was a moment um, in May uh, where I'm at the airport, and the airport is empty, which I have never seen. You know, We've been back and forth for many weeks. Um, and I was like, you know, that's really interesting. So my son is crying because we're leaving his dad. Um, and then I'm going through security, there's nobody there, and then it hit me, it's Mother's Day. 
everybody's with their mother mm. except for me you know and and I just I it was just too much and I said you, you know one thing I've always done in my politics is I've been authentic and I've been real and it's something I've done with passion and with love and and it's I have to feel it so that I know that I can do it right um, and it was just too much on me and I decided that the best thing for me and my family um, was to step down because for me it really wasn't about whether I was going to win or not the my re-election or whether I was going to win or not the speakership, but it was really about the life that I was going to have after becoming a speaker and the challenges that that was going to pose, additional challenges. Um, so I'm very happy and proud of my decision. It was one that I made um, with my heart 110%, and one that I know a lot of people have come to me and said, oh my God, you're killing me. How could you do this? Um, but I understand, right? So everybody's like, I hear you, but you know, I wish, I wish you didn't have to do it. And I wish I didn't have to do it either, but... Um, because I, you know, I would love to kind of have seen what would happen, what the what ifs, but um, no regrets. I'm really excited about what the future has for me um, as a mom, as a wife, and, and I, I'm still the same journalist. I'm still the advocate. I'm still you know, going to be boisterous on issues that are important to me. Um, and I'm hoping that I can find my, my way in Maryland now. In a different zip code. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll be interested to see what you do down there. Um, and maybe a little later in this conversation, we'll get back to what, what you might be looking at next. But we'll talk a little bit more about your tenure in the city council first. Um, I guess we didn't warn people ahead of time that this episode might tug at your heartstrings a little bit. It's a little different than our usual ones. But uh, no, I mean, I think that's great that you're sort of sharing some of that decision-making process. And a lot of times people don't think about the fact that elected officials have personal lives and personal decisions to weigh. And, um, you know, that's that's obviously been a challenge for you and uh and it's it's interesting to hear about um i think ha, did you did you have you had any thoughts about the sort of power that you're leaving on the table is that not i mean you know i mean you're talking about finance chair potentially the speaker of the city council which is basically the second most powerful position in the city not that it's guaranteed you would have been the speaker as you said but um that's a lot, you know, in New York City, too, you know, the, know. the, big, the big, you know, I, and so I don't mean to make you feel yeah. bad, but, you know, <laughs> just tell us a little more about sort of thinking about that. Yeah, I mean, you it know. was something that kept me up at night, right? It was something that was important. It was what kept me going and, you know, kept me um, invested in, in this opportunity and why, you know, like my, I felt that oh, absolutely I can do this. Um, and how, who leaves power on the table? And it was interesting because when I announced, you know, there, was <clears throat> there were three factions. There were those that were like, you're doing the absolutely right thing. There were those that were like, I can't believe you're doing this. And then there were those, there must be something wrong. There must, when's the next shoe going to drop? There has, nobody scandal leaves power. Right, there's a yeah. scandal mm-hmm. coming. Nobody leaves power. And for me, it's like, when I got elected in 2009, after you know a lot of drama from my former boss, if you would have told me then, you know what, you're going to be the finance chair at some point in this city of New York, of eight plus billion million people, I'd be like, absolutely, no way, that can't happen, right? I'm a girl from Corona. I'm the chair of women's issues. Nobody goes from women's issues to finance chair. Um, so in many ways, is I am humbled by the power that I have within this position. Um, and I don't see it like I'm leaving power because power is something that you have within you. Um, I will take my experience and you know take that somewhere else. Um, and 
there was nothing more powerful for me than to be able to make a decision for myself and to be able to say, this is a decision that I want for my family. And that was the most powerful thing. So people, it's about how you weigh power. For me, at, that, at this moment in my life, that was the most powerful decision that I could make. Nice. So let's talk a little about that finance chair, finance chair uh, position. I would like to talk about this a little bit more because <laughs> okay. I do listening to you and I, it's very moving and you've thought about it in a very um, mature way. I, I wonder if a man would ever come to the same decision in terms of making this balance of giving up authority and this type of political future. Have you thought about that? Yeah. I've thought about it, and I think it's why we're in this crisis now, honestly, where the council is seeing even less women. You know, that was that's also another reason why it took me so long, I think, personally, to come to this decision, is I understood the responsibility that I felt as a woman in office, and that I was going to be leaving the seat, um, and that I didn't have a female successor. Um, all these things were, were a part of, you know, the guilt and the back and forth and is it ready and should I do it and should I stay? Um, and I don't think, I personally don't think a man would necessarily do that. Um, maybe there's one or two out there that have. Um, <clears throat> I think there's an issue with equity, right? Oftentimes it's the man that makes more money than the woman. So in him leaving, making that move, it makes a, a very big financial impact on the family. I think... Um, Men tend to be the ones that are perceived to have the more, you know, a powerful job. So uh, the women can sacrifice a little bit more, um, unfortunately. And I also think that the role that that women play in those very early years is a little different. For a um, child. Yeah, mm-hmm. for a child. In at this time in my son's life, I was able to make this change based on what was a priority for me. Um, I don't know if it would be the same. You know, I, usually mom is the one that's home, and I hate to kind of put, fall into these roles, right, that we have, these traditional roles, because I think society is evolving from them. W- the reaction that I got that was most negative, or not negative, but like, what are you doing? I guess negative. <laughs> was from men. Mm-hmm. Men could not believe Almost like if I was ever given that opportunity, I would never do what you're doing now. And I'm like, yeah, well, maybe that's why you're never given the opportunity. Well put. (laughs) So we have, we're sorry to lose you, particularly CBC. We very much enjoyed working with you, and I thought it was a very productive relationship um, in terms of your work at the council. But in some ways, this gives you and the public in New York a a unique opportunity because you are stepping away on your own um, after eight years in the council and some of it in this very important position. And since you are the type of person clearly who thinks and is reflective, I think we're wondering whether looking back now um, on the time you spent there, how, if you could, would you change things in the council, in the relationship between the finance committee and the mayor's office. What do you see as impediments and and structural problems that, looking back, you wish could be changed? And how would you advise? You know, I think that we have to acknowledge the work that we've done, right? We've come a long way when it comes to transparency. it got to the point where the administration was like, if she says transparency one more time in a budget hearing. But I, you know, it was important because 
for people to understand the budget process, you have to know what you're reading. You have to understand what this all means. And if you don't have access to that, um, I think you know the count. We can do much more and do it in a way where it's kind of you can search for exactly what you want, and it's in layman's terms. And you know, if you're looking for a capital project, that it's not that it's not a gotcha type of a website. Or you know, I think technology really needs to be advanced when it comes to government. That is the one thing. Like we have access. You can have an app bring you food. You can have an app bring you anything you want. Yet you can't have an app that brings you budget information in a in a real clear way um, that everybody knows. You know there might be other things out there, but that everybody knows and understands. Um, I think government in, in from that sense works like molasses. And sometimes even when from the finance division to be able to communicate with um, the Department of Finance or OMB, our technology doesn't even communicate effectively. So how do, how are we supposed to be an equal pair or you know an equal um, a level when we're, our, our technology doesn't even communicate. And it's like, well, that's going to take five years and we got to reach out to Microsoft and, you know, and change. And, and we don't want to do it because it might crash the whole system. It's like, well, you know, maybe we need to look at this more efficiently. So that's just one thing that I guess it was my pet peeve. Um, and I know it was for the finance division. Bring this up to the mayor, considering he got, you know, pre-K up and running in, you know, eight months or something. You know, he, he can he can make some of this happen. Right. But if you think time. about it, like pre-K lives in a budget line that's like billions of dollars. It kind of runs in its own space. Right. So they're more flexible. But it's these other things that, for whatever reason, aren't as flexible. And I think that's where we need to see um, some movement. I, I think that I would have liked to have seen um, the budget process not be from January to June, right? This is $85 billion and the way we're going, it keeps increasing, um, which is a whole other we'll conversation. We'll get to that. Yeah. <laughs> no, um, $85 billion dollars. But we have different iterations. Just yesterday, we did a modification. Nobody was in the room. I think very few people have reported on it. You don't know what we did in that budget. You know, essentially, it was all zero, zero, and it was more of corrections. But the fact that the, the, the population doesn't engage in the budget process as a year-round reflective tool that if there's things that are happening and things that are changing that we should be made aware in a way that's newsworthy, I think it's important. Um, but we get really focused on, okay, it's January, and the handshake is coming in June, and the story at the end becomes, well, you know, how early can we shake our hands? <laughs> but then there's a whole bunch of things that happens from, like, June to November. We're doing um, appropriations for initiatives. We're doing... Um, kind of reanalyzing the November plan that's coming down and, you know, whatever crisis happens between July and November. And then, you know, we look at it again in January. And January, it really isn't a beginning. It's the beginning of the next fiscal year's planning, but it's still kind of the middle of the current fiscal year. Um, so I, I would have liked to have been able to get people, including our members, engaged in a different way. That's what I was going to react to is, is that really the public's problem or a, a structural problem? Or the, it's the, it, how much of it is the council members? They are used to thinking in this January to June. They think about the handshake. They think about what items they're going to get to add or, or, or baseline, as they call it. And, you know, to, to what extent is it um, a matter of the leadership trying to get people to continue to focus on this 
as a year-round process. And, and you know, uh, the speaker and I really attempted to do that. And um, in the past, you would have BNTs kind of just during that window. And now we meet all That's the time. Budget negotiating yeah, team. Sorry, budget negotiating most team. Of our, <laughs> most of our listeners might <laughs> like, know that. Like, what is but, that? But, but just They're eating BLTs. <laughs> um, no, uh, our budget negotiating team really meets year-round. But, of course, it's only a small portion of council members. And I think, I honestly believe it's, it's, it's really a partnership with everyone. Members will prioritize what their constituents, what's important to their constituents, right? And what's important to the good government groups and what's important to labor. And so there's a lot of interests that members have to come in and then necessarily ask for, hey, what's happening here? What can I change here? Um, So yes, members can engage more. But I know being a council member and having been in the position of being in the room, but also out of the room, right? Because I... When I was chair of women's issues, I wasn't on BNT right away. I got on BNT, I think, in my third term through uh, now Senator Comrie, who put me on BNT, but I wasn't on BNT. And sometimes when you're outside of the room, you really don't know what's happening and, you know, what's the information. So I, I think that it's it's kind of a collective. We all have a role to play in getting more information and making the budget process a year-round conversation. Because on some issues, I believe, when you start talking about it in January, it's almost too late. Because we needed to be planning for it before. So that's probably something that I would have liked to have seen. The, the city um, actually has a lot of budget hearings. And the process, even though you're talking about a different sort of extension of the process and a different way of thinking about it, it is a fairly drawn-out process that has a lot of hearings. And, I mean, the way you know we cover city and state and CBC deals with city and state and you know compared to the state budget process, you know the city is is light years ahead in many ways, um, as far as I can tell. Um, so there are a lot of hearings, and, and there's there's a lot that does happen publicly. But talk a little bit about sort of that public process and how that balances with that private process of the BNT. And you mentioned, you know, all these outside interests. It's government. It's big budget dollars, as you said, labor, special interests, lobbyists, you know. So, I mean, I can re-ask you the second part, but... You know, how is how is that public versus sort of private negotiation? How does that unfold? Well, it makes for a very long day. Um, yes, we have hours, um, hundreds of hours of budget hearings. But even for me to be able to move those hearings in an efficient way, members get five minutes to ask a question, right? And you got to think, and, and, you know, I wish I could give them more, but we would be there for days. But it's to kind of keep the ship moving so that then we can go into BNT and go into leadership and have my own private meetings with the administration, have my own private meetings with the speaker, and then put this all together and get members engaged in voting. Um, I think one of the, one of the I guess it's, 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 almost, it's almost like art, right? Because everybody's trying to put their stroke on this document, right, and, and influence this, this very important document. People come in with their own priorities, very much are focused on their districts. And then, you know, those that are chair have to pull back out and say, well, this is what's important to my committee. Um, so, for example, if I'm speaking to, to Mark uh, Levine and he's and, and we had we engaged in a lot of conversation during this budget because it was a lot of conversations on parks and the park projects and capital projects. But he also has his priorities in his district. And that's where the staff comes in. I got to say None of this happens. We, you know, none of this happens without the support of the staff. From the finance division and the 40-plus members that we have working on the budget, if you think about it, it's 40 members plus staff compared to, like, OMB, 
right? There, there's no comp. It's not even comparable. Um, but the work that they churn out to help us become expertise or experts on you know different topics is vital for us to be able to at least influence the budget as much as we can. And then the staff that we have in our district's office, right? I can have peace of mind in City Hall because I know my constituent services are being taken care of, but I need to know what's affecting my community. So when you talk, when you think about if I'm not taking care of that pothole or if I'm not taking care of the dredging of you know Flushing Bay, that people are like, what the hell is that? Then they don't care what you're doing is finance. Right, yeah. they could care less, you know. And I could be doing a really good job, but if Flushing Bay still smells like sulfur, or you know, smells like rotten egg, that's what my constituents care about. So it's also about connecting that amazing staff with the central staff, and then getting all that into five minutes for you to ask your question at a hearing, and have a commissioner tell you, "I'm going to get back to you." <laughs> right. <laughs> so. Um, yeah. it's, it's the way the sausage is made. It's not necessarily always easy, but I think that this council has done it with the most level of transparency. And, and I love that, you know, like working with council member Matteo, right? And like, why would you would think, well, he's a Republican from Staten Island. Yeah, but he really championed veterans tax credit. And that's real. Like, we have veterans in every one of our districts. That's not a Staten Island problem. And, you know, New York City benefited greatly from being able to deliver that. And that was part of hearings, but there was a lot of negotiations on the side, a lot of conversations that he had, that I had, that the speaker had, that we had together. Um, there were times where we're like, is this going to be, are we really going to be able to pull this off? Well, if we're not going to be able to do that, then we have to do this. And it's a lot of those conversations that happen. And, and I just love that I was able to engage in, in many of those conversations on different levels. So if and when, in January, the next finance chair of the city council calls you at home in Maryland and says, okay, tell me, what, what advice do you have for me? What are you going to say? What's your advice to the next chair? I'm going to say, read a lot. Uh, listen to the staff. Like look at look at the history that we have in the council, which is what I did. I went and I and I it was Dominic Recchi at the time. I said, you know, I want to look at what his opening statements were like. What were what was he working on? What were the last five? Walk me through the last five budgets. Um, looking at CBC reports, looking oh, at IBO. Oh yes, no, I, it's true. Looking at the IBO reports, look, reading. Like I felt that, you know, look in 2014, I wasn't necessarily an expert in this, but I knew I was going to give it all I had and be prepared. That was my biggest thing. You have to be prepared, and you also have to admit when you don't know something, because there's nothing worse than going into a space and acting like you know something. And I feel like that's the first thing people will pick at you. And I'm, I'm very honest. I will say, I don't know that. You know, is there an expert in the room that can advise me? We might have hit our second uh, male-female divide point there. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. Like, fake it to you. If I can say so. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and then once I, I think that's what I would tell the next finance chair. But it is an incredible, it is an incredible place to be able to observe and influence um, our budget and our, and our city. Right? Um, and a perfect example for me was feminine hygiene products. Um, it was something that touched my heart from meeting with a, um, an advocate. Uh, she came and met with me, 
And my staff was like, I know you can't, you know, you're really busy. You're in the middle of budget he- meetings, but can you meet with her? And I'm like, sure. And it was actually Liz Fine, the former, um, um, our former counsel, general counsel, oh. who put me together with this wonderful woman, Jennifer Weisswolf. And I said, sure, you know, I'll do it for Liz. I love Liz. So she comes in. I said, you know, I was like, you have 15 minutes. She explains this to me, and it was like, oh, my God. Of course, I remember this as be a beacon director. Like, this would happen to my girls. They were struggling. They didn't have access, and they would miss school. But I, I believe that I was able to then put a roundtable of advocates, really get the details behind that while the budget was happening. So this is, like, parallel. But they got to a point where it was, well, I think we should charge the girls. It should be a quarter. But I was able to say, we have a budget of $83 billion at that time, $83 billion, and you're going to charge a girls a quarter for pads? Are you kidding me? But I felt like I was able to authentically say that and say, look, this line here, we could eliminate that whole line and it'll pay for pads for 10 years. Um, and, and that's where I felt my, uh, you know, one of those moments of empowerment of you can't fool me on this one. Where I think, and maybe in another case, if you would have talked to Jalissa elected in 2009, I would have been like, oh, well, yeah, maybe we can't afford it as a city. Because I, I, I didn't understand the, the plethora of, 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 or the complexities of, of the budget and, and, and what it meant to run our city at that time. Um, so we really did that in, one, in, a, in a year. We were able to get feminine hygiene products free and accessible in schools, prisons, and shelters. Um, and, I, and, you know, and I have to give credit to the mayor who when I first called me, he was like, when I called him, I was on the FDR driving. <laughs> I'm like, hey, I need you to make feminine hygiene products free for everyone. And he's like, what? <laughs> and what he told me was interesting. He's like, let me speak to the first lady <laughs> and I'll get back to you. And I was like, okay, talk to whoever you need to. Um, and, and it eventually just became about that, whether charging girls or not. And you know, we won that battle. So Yeah, and that moved, moved quickly because I think uh, it spoke to, to people who had sort of that awakening that you might have had in one office with one person. Uh, and you know, I've gotten to know Jennifer uh, a bit as well yeah, through this process great. because she's quite an advocate. Um, and, that, and that did move. So you talked a little bit about people wanting your attention. I remember you and I spoke maybe a year, not even, into your tenure as finance chair, and you said, I have a whole lot of new friends. You know, you sort of said that in air quotes. A lot of people who wanted your attention. So becoming finance chair and a lot more people want your attention, how did you manage that? What Again, going back to advice for the next, how do you, what do you say about who do you meet with? How do you decide who's important? What's that process like? Um, for me, the transition was very difficult because as a – council member uh, without the um, um, title of chair or finance chair. Um, I've always met with everyone and any of my doors have always been open. Um, whatever issues, I actually find it very interesting to learn about things that I didn't know when I have advocates and, and other people um, come. And um, So that was very important for me. Uh, as finance chair, you multiply that by 20. Um, so there is the vetting of the staff. Um, and my, my scheduling meetings are a lot longer now, um, trying to group topics together so that I can better understand. Um, and unfortunately, I have a lot less time to meet with people. Um, and it's very hard for me because I am someone that likes to engage and to learn more and to better understand. And I think it just makes you a better elected official. So I, I do believe that not meeting with groups is very not a 
not the best way to govern because you have to listen to the nuances and things that are important, even if it's outside of your district. But you also have to be able to manage the time. So time management has really became a priority for me and in my office. And how powerful in this process, how powerful are advocates versus lobbyists versus um I don't know, the count, the, the council members themselves, sort of their pet issues. I mean, you had to manage all of that, yeah. right? And, and when you're in that room, did you know sometimes, oh, he's just bringing that up because, like, that lobbyist, you know, is pushing him really hard to do that or, or things along no, those lines? I, I, I've always taken um, at face value what members, you know, one thing that I did in, in my meetings with members is what are your top three, right? Your top three for capital, your top three for expense, you know, are there any other things that you want me to like look out for? Um, and I had my list, and I organized myself in that way. Um, so I think it, it, it helps kind of mitigate some of the, oh, I just need to say this to you. It's like, no, give me your top three. What do you want me to go in there and pull my sleeves up and that I got to bring out of that room for you? Um, and in many cases, you know, I was very, we're very blessed, as they say. I knock on wood. I'm Latina. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, very blessed that we were able to do that. But I also was part of budgets that were very tough. I think we have to recognize that in this new administration and with this new speaker, our economy is doing very, very well. And in some, you know, some corners, you can start to see a glimpse of some change. So we have to be very wise. Um, and you know, when we talk about growing the budget and what that means, um, the next council may not have the same opportunities that we had. Um, so I also recognize that you know a lot of people are like, well, you did a great job as finance chair. I know that I was able to deliver for a lot of people. I've been in the room when you're like cutting, is it you know firehouses or libraries? And that was one of the toughest decisions. And I think in many ways it doesn't mean that um, you know I was a better finance chair than someone who was in that time. Because, you know, that's got to be just as hard, if not harder, to decide, you know, how much you're going to cut by, what peg are you keeping. Um, and I think because I brought that experience to, with me to this budget, I was also very, um, I was very focused on, wait a minute, let's not, you know, think so big or, or want to invest all this money. Let's, let's do a pilot program and see if it works first before we go and spend all this money. Um, and the speaker and I, and I, and I think it very well, very, very much has to do with the fact the speaker was there when we were doing cuts. I was there when we were doing cuts. Latanya was there when we were doing cuts. In many ways, Ramon was there when we were doing cuts. And a lot of them, and some of the members were also there. So it was kind of a mixed bag um, because there were members that have only seen the good times. And the mayor was around when there were cuts, although, you know. Right, well, uh, well he wait, doesn't wait, his, remember his, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, of course, you're referring to your, your finance director, Latanya McKinney, right. and Ramon Martinez, and Ramon, the, the chief, chief of, staff. of staff. Right. So, <clears throat> looking back, what are you most proud of in terms of your accomplishments? You talked about the feminine hygiene products funding, but what else? And then what do you regret that you didn't get to? So I'm most proud of <clears throat> the transparency work that we were able to do, the fact that the speaker had the vision to say, we need, I want three women to lead this effort with me. And you know that is something that unfortunately we're, not, we're probably not, well, we're not gonna have um, in the next session, right? Because none of the candidates are women. Um, maybe one will come up. <laughs> speaker, yeah. Right. Um, and 
I also am very proud of um, our business tax expenditure task force and that we were able to create a mechanism to really do some oversight. Um, and, you know, I hope that you guys will continue that and put pressure on the next council to make sure that those evaluations are done and that we see the results of that because I think that's going to speak volumes um, to all these expenditures that we give that aren't necessarily doing our city um, any benefit any or giving our city any benefits longer any longer one of the things that I regret is that part of that announcement there was the property tax um, expenditure um, um, uh, task force that was supposed to be created that kind of just got axed and we focused on the business tax um, one um, and I think it in many ways it suffered from the complexities of property tax and the many layers and influence that it has on our city, the fact that it is a huge percentage of our budget, um, and that a lot of it is also influenced by the state. Um, and I, I do believe that the next council and even the next mayor, and, you know, the, this mayor, um, Mayor de Blasio, and he's, he's made reference to this, that they're going to have to look at this. They're going to have to um, look at reforming the property tax. And I would have love to be able to take this task force to help educate whatever reform um, we could see down the road, but we didn't, we weren't able to do that. So that was well, one of we'll my regrets. Trying. I'm sure you <laughs> the will. Mayor has, yeah, I, I have to know, of course, the mayor has sort of uh, pushed that down the road to, to second term, but uh, well, the second we'll, we'll term pick is it up coming. with him. <laughs> yeah, assuming he gets it. Yeah. Um, so uh, in our last couple minutes here, uh, Jalissa, um, tell us just a little bit about, you know, we know you haven't announced a job, but what do you, you know, what are you planning I'm looking. To do? You, Someone should reach think? out, <laughs> I, you know. Um, I am right now, you know, settling into our, our, our new home, wrapping up my home here in New York. I'm kind of tied in, you know, in between two weekends in Maryland here in New York. Um, and settling Julian into his new school and really looking at the opportunities. One of the interesting things is someone asked me for a resume recently and I'm like, oh my God, I got to get a resume. Update that resume. <laughs> I was yeah. like, well, it has been 17 years since I've written a resume. Wow. I've been in the council for 17 years as a staffer and, you know, as a council member. Um, but I'd like to believe that, you know, some people could look at the work that I've done and maybe they can find me useful down in Baltimore. Baltimore, D.C., I mean, you're in that whole whole vicinity there. In that whole yeah. vicinity You can just there. send them the, the most recent budget. That could be... I know, that, I that should be like, here, pow! Right? <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. Well, we thank you for joining us. We'll be interested to see what you do next. We'll, of course, be watching as you do your final budget modification in, in November, right? Yes. That's coming up. So uh, thanks for spending some time with us today. Thank you. Thank you, and best of luck. Bye. Bye.